I'm seeing just many folks that have kind of come back this way. I'm seeing over here, I think I see Leslie over here. Hey, Leslie. I'm up at Shelby Way, right? Good to have you back. And Sarah from Gardner Webb, just right across the hill over there from Gardner Webb. So uh, good to see you. And who else has come home for Christmas? Raise your hand today if you've come home for Christmas. Maybe I've I'm not seeing everything. There's, there you are. You've come a long ways to get back home. God bless you. Good to see you. That's Linda's sister, the queen. Okay. I'm trying to figure out how to get turned on here. You know, nothing goes according to plan. Uh, while I was reading the narration today, uh, there was a flea, a Christmas flea, walking across the page. <laughs> so my eyes were wanting to follow it, you know, both ways. Nothing went to plan this week. We were planning on having our live nativity outside on Wednesday, and uh, it rained. I mean, cats and dogs, you know, on Wednesday. And so we began to see that happening and began to prepare to have it inside, and a lot of people helped out. I mean, we had a manger scene built here, a stable, and uh, uh, the kids had to kind of get reoriented to doing an inside uh, pageant, you might say, and it just went beautifully. It was wonderful. The kids were great. All the leadership did wonderful, and we're so thankful for it. So it's been a blessing, the Christmas season that we've had this year through the services this uh, month. And uh, tonight we'll conclude, and we're looking forward to having William uh, uh, speak for us this evening and share a devotion for us. So uh, Let's uh, turn in our Bibles to John chapter 1. John 1, 1 through 5, we'll be looking there. And uh, we think about what's the greatest moment of history. You might think about what would be the greatest moment of your life. I'm not going to share what might be the greatest in my life. I'm not sure I would remember it exactly. It has to do with Jane, of course, whatever it might be, I'm sure. So, uh, and getting saved. I bet that might trump you there, Jane. John 1, 1 through 5. So I'm going to turn from the book of Ezekiel where I landed here open with my notes. So, uh, uh And read here in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness overcame it not. Now slide down to verse 9. That was the true light, which lights every man that comes into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him... To them gave He power to become sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I like to go up to the Smithsonian Institute and go through the, I particularly like the History Museum, but I also go over to the Natural History Museum and look through there and always kind of stop and pause at the, uh, sort of the evolutionary theory 
of uh, man's advancement anyway, not talking so much about creation, but advancement. And you know, it sort of starts off with man sort of crawling up on the, uh, on the uh, shore of the river or the uh, ocean, I guess, or somehow or another, and beginning to develop, you know. And then when it gets sort of in the form of a man, you might say, uh, those thumbs seem awful important, so he develops these thumbs. So if you've got sore thumbs, you know, that's like I have right now, uh, you really appreciate the use of a thumb, right? It's uh, vital, they say, to becoming a human being. And also the hind legs, standing up on hind legs. It's good to be on hind legs this morning, isn't it? And uh, then the invention of the wheel, and then the great world leaders, and and uh, modern technology, and then the atomic power that's around. So if you think about greatest moments of history, science has its sort of figuring out of those kind of things. Um, But when you think about what is the most important event in history, it's not the ascension of man. It's not the ascension of man. It's the, the descension of God. God coming into our history. God coming to be with us. And that's what's described in this passage in the book of John. This is a different way of talking about the nativity uh, here in the book of John. It's a different way of telling the story of the coming of Christ. The incarnation of Christ is called. And so it's, uh, it says in the beginning was the Word and begins to talk about the Word. The word here is used as a, uh, a, way, a code word, you might say, for the name of Jesus, of Jesus Himself coming. The Word, He's called. The Word. Well, what is the Word? What is the definition of the Word here that John, that John is using? John is describing the significance of Jesus, and he associates Jesus and the Word. And so a Word, what does a Word do? It gives us information. It expresses us what we want to communicate, right? It expresses what we want to say. And so the Word was God's expression in creation. What did God want to say? Well, when He created the world, this is what He wanted to say. And the Word brought about the creation of the world. You remember, God spoke. And these, these matters in creation began to take place. And so the Word was God's expression in creation. The Word also is the expression of God Himself. What does God want to say? Well, do we have ears that can hear God? Yes, I suppose we could. But how did God express Himself? And, and He always expresses Himself through acts, through action. So at creation, it's the act of creation, right? And so it, now He is going to speak through His Son, Jesus Christ, and He's speaking through His Word. His Word, the Bible says, was eternal. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was all in the beginning with God. Christ is preexistent. He is with God. Jesus is the expression of God. He is the greatest and highest expression of God. If we look over in the book of Hebrews in chapter, uh, in chapter 1 and look at verse 3. Here we go. I usually have my Bible marked, but you know what? I've been partying too much the last two days. And uh, I didn't mark my Bible. 
Verse 1, look at the first part of verse 3. Well, let's just go to verse 1. God who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in the past through the prophets has in these last days spoken to us, how? By His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom He has made the worlds, who being, it says, the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, upholding all things by the word of His power. He is the express image of God. Who is God? What is God like? Well, where do you go to find what God is like and who He is? Well, you go especially to His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the express image of God. He is the highest expression of God. Uh, and from this, we, we, He gives us a, a real good description also of Jesus and, and sort of the, we might call the, the, the definition of His Word. The Declension of the Word. The greatest description of God is the incarnation. He says in verse 14, you remember, he says uh, in, John, in John chapter 1, he says, um, um, and the Word, let's see, I've lost myself. He said, the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh. And so God is, is speaking through His Word. Let's get, let's get over where we're supposed to be. You're not going to find that in Timothy, by the way. You'll notice. I'm going to get there. Here we go. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So that's one of the most incredible statements that you'll find in the Bible. The Word was made flesh. To the Greeks of that day, that was like, you know, entirely foolish. It was just foolishness to the Greeks that God somehow would take upon Himself a body. The Greeks had this idea that the body was was really a source of evil and that somehow that God could become physical in a body was like a really foolish or even a scandalous thought. But to the Jews, it was just as scandalous that God, the God who was high and lifted up, the God whose name they would not even pronounce, a God who was so transcendent over all creation that God somehow would become a man was just crazy to the Jews. They could not comprehend it. it, was, it was, it's really one of the big stumbling blocks uh, to the Jews' understanding about who Jesus, who Jesus is. And so... Uh, you know, God becoming a person. I mean, it'd be like for us to think, well, us becoming maybe a, a snail or a, or a crawfish or, or an ant or maybe even a gnat. And that's even, we're still talking about creation, creation, creative creatures. You know, God is the creator. We're not creators. God is the creator. And so, uh, John portrays God not as out there, unapproachable, unknowable, unexplainable, un, un, uh, unrevealed. He, he shows God as with us. God coming to be with us. If you think about it, God has three choices about what to do with man. He can, he can choose after creation and after the fall of man, after the sin of mankind, to basically say, well, I've wound this clock up. 
we'll just let it run out. I'm just going to let nature take its course. I'm going to let mankind take its course. And the world will just go that way. And man, because of sin, will die in his sin. Be apart from God, that'll be it. That's a detached God. That's a God who's basically just to the other side of the universe just kind of watching on. Or God could have said, now, man has sinned and man has fallen away from me and evil has come into the world. And God could basically have said, I'm just going to stamp it out. We see that possibility pertinent in the story of Noah. God could say, I'm just going to squish mankind. I'm going to get rid of mankind. Or He could have said, I'm going to, I'm going to get involved. I'm coming down. I'm getting with them. I'm going to walk beside them. I'm going to show them. I'm going to live it out. And I'm going to do what it takes to deliver them from their sinfulness. That's the choices that God had, and thank God that's what He did. It says, God, it says that God became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us. He dwelt among us. That word dwelt means He pitched His tent with us. Uh, some of you like camping, and maybe you had those years early on when you camped in tents, and now you may have graduated up to something else. We've graduated up, graduated up to motels and hotels and things ourselves. But uh, God dwelt among us and pitched His tent. That's a really humble way of saying it, isn't it? That kind of reminds us of the birth of Christ. It's really a humble entrance into this world. I mean, He came in, you know, through the servants' quarters. He came in the back door you might say, of creation. He pitched His tent, or He tabernacled with us. He tabernacled with us. That's, that brings to the Jewish mind anyway, the tabernacle out in the wilderness. When they were traveling those 40 years, uh, going through the wilderness, there was the tabernacle of God. That was the place of worship. That's where the holy place was. The holy of holies was there. That's where they went and made their sacrifices. And that's where they, they gathered to uh, have their atonements made before the Lord. And so if that tabernacle kind of brings to mind, God is with us. God is tabernacled with us. He's residing with us. And not only that, it brings to mind this sense of glory. This sense of glory. Around the tabernacle, there was this sense of the glory of God. You remember the story of the deliverance of the, of the, Hebrews, the Hebrews out of Egypt, that God led them. He led them how? By a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And so God was leading His people. And that was the glory of God leading His people. He was bringing them and brought them through the wilderness and the Shekinah, it was called the Shekinah glory of God that would settle upon the holy place. You remember that Moses, when he had those opportunities uh, before the giving of the law, he went up to the He went up to the mountain and there when he came off the mountain it says that his face was on fire. Shining. The glory of God. The glory of God. And when the tabernacle was all prepared and ready Moses went into the tabernacle and when he would come out of the tabernacle his face would shine. And there was was him being with the presence of God. It also occurred at the dedication of the temple. The temple replaced the tabernacle in the, in the, in the religious uh, uh, headquarters of the Jewish people. It was the temple. And then the dedication of the temple, the same occurred when the priest went into the holy place and came back out. There was this sense of the Shekinah glory of God. Amen. That's a great word in the Bible. And, and John says in verse 14, 
He said, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John says, we looked upon Him. We saw Him. Now this is the testimony of those in the first century who saw Jesus. We saw Him and, and we saw the glory of God in Him. And John, John says, we beheld the Shekinah glory of God. Now John was with Peter and James when they went up on the, the uh, Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And there it says that, that they were covered with a great, great aura of glory of God. The Shekinah glory. John said, we have seen the glory of God. We have seen Him and, and the nearness and the presence of God in our midst. Uh, in the world, He has become flesh. Not with outward pomp and splendor. So many thought that when the Messiah would come, and this is also uh, sort of a, a hard thing for those who were schooled in the Jewish history, when he would come, they expected a great leader. They expected a really a warrior leader like David of old. But when Jesus came, he did not come with that outward look. Isaiah said, as a matter of fact, when he comes, he won't be that much to look at. He won't be one that's that people will be attracted to because of his physicalness. He would be like an ordinary person. But he came in lowliness, the Bible says, and in suffering. And we know that that suffering followed him right to the cross itself. And, and John says, we beheld the glory of God. John was at the cross. He was the only disciple at the cross, kneeling there before the cross and saw Jesus up close on the cross. He said, we beheld his glory. That's, pra that's, that's praiseworthy right there. We beheld His glory. And, the, and it was at the cross He spoke of it. Jesus says that His hour of glory has come when He was praying before the time of the cross. He said, God, glorify me. Glorify me with that glory which I had when I was in heaven. That's that Shekinah glory. The glory of Jesus Christ was, was best spoken at the cross. And, and John says this, Full of grace and truth. We beheld Him. And when we saw Him, He was full of grace and full of truth. Now, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's, that's quite a mouthful. Grace is that gift of God. That gift of unmerited favor. That gift of looking upon us who are sinners with eyes of love and, and desire to save us and deliver us. The grace of God. We beheld Him. And I think about all the places that Jesus must have gone. And there's John and these other disciples tagging after Him. And there would people approach Jesus. And, and uh, they would, I, they, many times they would say, Oh, golly, I hope He doesn't speak to them. And sure enough, He goes right over to them. Even little children in that day and time, you know, were, were not thought of highly. And the disciples were trying to keep them back. And Jesus said, Don't. Don't stop them from coming to me. A blind man would be calling from the roadside, just screaming out, you know, embarrassing everybody. Lord, help me. The disciples were trying to quieten him down. Let's get on moving here. And Jesus would stop. Lepers would come out from behind some, some uh, uh, barrier. And they would step out in the front of Jesus. 
And they would call upon him. I'm sure the disciples were like, unclean, let's stay back. But Jesus would go and he would touch them. We beheld him, John says, full of grace. You know, I want you to know this morning that the God we have to deal with is a God of grace. He wasn't a God of grace. There wasn't be one of us that would have any future with Him. Not one of us. Grace means He will forgive us if we come and we confess our sins to Him and confess ourselves to be a sinner. He will forgive us. That's what grace is. It's God's forgiveness. It's God's willingness to be related to us, to be with us, to walk with us. Man, when I look out, I was... You know, I was just looking out a while ago at uh, some of the different ones that were here today and just thinking about how God has, you know, really got you through something this year. God's, that's grace. That's the grace of God. And so he says, we beheld him full of grace and truth. And truth. Now there's a lot of truths Science might well point us at lots of different true things. There are lots of things that are true, but He is the embodiment of truth. The embodiment of truth. He is truth. In Him, here is what God is. This is who God is. Here is the one who shows us what God is like. He is the embodiment of the truth about God and of God. He is the communication of the real truth, the truth that we need to hear from God. He is the one that communicates the truth to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. His Spirit is left to guide us into truth. God's own Spirit is with us these days, even still to guide us and lead us and direct us. It's a truth that, that can be resisted. The truth is often like a bright light. It will burn our eyes. Sometimes it's hard. When the truth is shined upon our sinfulness, it convicts. It's difficult. It hurts. It's in our, it's in our life. It's the convicting truth of God. It's, the whole point of it is not to beat us down, not to condemn us to, to hell, but the whole point of that is that we might repent and know we can turn to Him because He's full of what? Grace and truth. He's full of grace. And so it's to gaze. He says, we have gazed upon the divine man, Jesus Christ. And we talked, he says also here about the response. What kind of response was there to his coming? Well, there was rejection. Verse 10, it says, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world did not know him, did not recognize him. Many just saw him as a man, perhaps a great man or a teacher or a prophet at best, but he was not recognized. We know that when Jesus went back to his hometown, he went back in his ministry to his hometown of Nazareth. And there he was. He had been out uh, uh, operating among the different towns around about and been healing. And the great teachings of his just amazed people, so he came home. These are the people that had the most time to know Him. And it says at Nazareth, 
at Nazareth, they rejected him. Matter of fact, by the time he was through in his speaking, they were ready to stone him and ran him out of town. And so the response to Jesus is not always, you know, uh, trust and belief. Many times it's unbelief, and they did not recognize him. Verse 11 says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And so, uh, of any place we think where he may have been known, it would have been among his own. But it says, Those who receive him, to them gave he power or authority to become children of God, to those who believe in him, to those who trust him, to those who accept that word from heaven, to those who. Who, who accept that He is God's Word to them. Those who accept that He is the one who has come to deliver them of their sins. The one who received Him, He says, He gave that authority to become children of God. Children who, who have received and believed and trust in His name. I had a little card here that Leon Stewart gave me one time. It's a get-out-of-jail-free card. I was glad to get it. Because it's not the yellow one that comes in the Monopoly board. It's a white one. So I think it might work. I don't know. But on the back side of it, uh, and it's, it's made really to give to folks, I think, maybe who are dealing with coming out of prison or are in prison. And it says this. It's by Richard Lovelace, 1642. Stone walls do not a prison make, nor iron bars a cage. Mine's innocent and quiet. Take that for a hermitage. If I have freedom in my love and in my soul am free, angels alone that soar above enjoy such liberty. No matter who we are, when we have put our trust in Him, there is a peace that's available. There's a peace that's available when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I have a peace. And He said, that peace passes all understanding. When that peace of God comes on your life, you can't even really understand how it got there. You just know that it wouldn't be there if He didn't give it to you. And that's the case. That's the, that's the gospel. Jesus said to Nicodemus, He said, you know, you must be born again. Now all men in some ways, you might could call them children of God. But when we sin, there is, that, there is that wall that becomes between us and God. And Jesus says, not only must be born of water, be born of the water and the flesh, but be born of the Spirit. And that's uh, Nicodemus he was talking to, and he also told him these words. These are golden words. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You've got something to take before the Lord? Well, the best thing to take before the Lord is His own promise that He's given to us. John said, we beheld, we beheld the Word full of grace and truth. Will you bow with me for a moment? Father, thank You now that God, You have shown us in the Scriptures how you have reached down through your son Jesus. And that's the story of Christmas. You are coming down. The declension of God. The de- de- coming from heaven. And then like a strong man lifting a great weight. 
You went down as far as you could go and you brought up, you pull us up. It is your power by which we, are, we can overcome. And thank you, God, that when you look at your creatures, every one of us, you see, Lord, in us uh, something wonderful, something that, God, you can use, something that we can live a life of purpose and of your plan. And thank you, God, it's through your grace, your forgiveness, and through your truth, O oh Lord, that we can be the, the people, the man, woman, boy, or girl that, God, you have chosen us to be. It's nothing we've done. Nothing that we merit. It's all a gift from heaven that we celebrate. Lord, there may be those here today that this might be the day they would say, you know, I want to take Christ into my heart. I've thought about this a long time. I perhaps have listened to messages here, there, and yonder. And it's touched my heart. But today, it seems the Holy Spirit is speaking specially to me. Well, there may be those who are Christians today and say, you know, I, I received Jesus. I know what it means to have the Shekinah glory of God kind of come over my life. Perhaps I've wandered away and I really need to draw back nearer to my Lord. And so God, today, perhaps there are those who become part of this church family. You know, God gives, He puts families around. He says to those who, who receive Him, to them gave He power to become children of God. Well, we have, we're called into families. And uh, our churches are families of God. And so uh, we, are, we pray today there may be those that are ready to take that step today. So Lord, we love You and thank You now. We trust You with our heart. In Jesus' name, Amen. We're going to sing a hymn.